brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechats.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Here we go, Higher Side Chatters from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood, and I think most of us have to know by now that something is seriously wrong with this world and has been for a long time. Of course, the capstone cabalers of today are not to be trusted, but how long have they been in power, and are they even human? Many myths, legends, channelers, and prophets have mentioned this theme of outside invaders in the ancient past, that some kind of parasitic takeover and hybridization program intent on integrating with and ruling over the human race was implemented long ago on this island earth, and its species enslaving effects can still be felt today. Keeping the frequencies low and the people in tow is the name of the game on this human energy farm. And the zombified masses are blissfully ignorant that this material plane meant for human flourishing has been thoroughly twisted into a hellscape of fear, famine, greed, and laziness. Our worst qualities are encouraged and we've been all too willing to comply as our place in the universe, our purpose for being here, and our perspective timeline have all been hijacked to hide this unfortunate slave species situation. Or so they say. Well, these are the themes of podcasts past with today's returning guest, Sylvie Ivanoa, the creative genius behind the ever-popular New Earth YouTube channel and the website megaliths.org. She was here twice in the much simpler world of 2016, talking largely about her series When the Survivors of Atlantis and Hyperborea Wake Up, which tackles the story of humanity's parasitic takeover in great depth by taking a harder look at many aspects of history, architecture, art, and technology that stand out as odd where the typical timeline is concerned. She was also hugely helpful in one of the most creative THC episodes in the archive as the translator for an interview with the non-English-speaking Russian researcher Alexander Koltepin. She's combined the new chronology work of Anatoly Flamenco with her spiritual insights from over 200 ayahuasca journeys and many conspiratorial threads not easily accessed by the English-speaking world, and served us up several hearty bowls of higher side soup in the past, and today should be no different. The new earth educator and parasitic takeover teacher, my friend and yours, Sylvie, welcome back to the higher side. 
Hello, Greg. Your introduction made me smile so wide, wider than my face. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Happy to hear it. And I'm so glad to be doing this again. People still say four years later that the interviews I've been able to do with you are some of their favorites. And I can't believe the world has gotten as crazy as it has. The virus, the masks, the scary level of control, and the effectiveness of fear for getting such widespread compliance has all really surprised me. I know you've done videos this year on herbology, crystal healing, and spiritual health, and we got a lot of great stuff to talk about today, but I did want to ask you a little bit about how you've been doing in this year of the coronavirus. Are you seeing the same fear and control that we're getting here in the States? Not where I live. I was looking on that site, and on top of that, anyway, my style is like this, that Unless I'm on expedition, I rarely get out of my garden anyway. <laughs> I'm a full-time meditating and doing my spiritual practices. Actually, I was quite late to learn about the coronavirus because I also don't read the regular news. So <laughs> um, I only heard about this. Yeah, some people wear masks, but here we were not affected. But I know that it has been quite horrible, and it still is for many people out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how much truth do you think there is to the whole story, or is this just another one of the parasites' dirty tricks? Well, the virus certainly exists. It's not as dangerous as they tell us. I think they were banking on infecting more people and having more victims, and probably that didn't happen according to their expectations, or as some it leaked in a few places, they could not infect enough people. And it's just a scare campaign. I mean, more people die from flu, who have tuberculosis, many other much more frightful epidemics, of course. It's just a fear epidemic. Yes, a fear epidemic indeed. And there's nothing to fear but fear itself. And it just seems to be another control agenda of the parasites to a degree, although a pretty effective one and widespread too. But to set up the main topic of the day, you have been following a Russian whistleblower slash prophet named Alexander Paramonov that is getting a lot of traction in the non-English speaking alternative world that is revealing a lot of hidden history that jives with your Survivors series. He says he's a UN consultant, supposedly one of the richest investors in Russia, chief commander of the Hospitalier Knights, one of the few knight orders that was never subservient to the Vatican or the Freemasons, head of something that roughly translates to the Department of Anti-Terror for the KGB USSR, an agency that was supposed to be dissolved with the Soviet Union, but has stayed intact in secret until now. As you mentioned to me, If you've heard the spirit guides correctly, he might very well be one of the main characters in the play called The End Times. Very interesting stuff. But what else would you say to introduce Alexander Paramonov to this audience? (laughs) Yeah, okay, let's start with more earthly stuff, so to say. What I can verify from the Russian press, because not everything which we listed is verifiable, but first of all, he's practically the owner of the M1 treasury, which really seems to be the 
richest international monetary treasury in the world, practically owning most of the physical gold on earth, far bigger than the U.S. treasury. And the base of that gold, physical gold, they actually made the Bretton Woods system. Because although they are printing money, still there is some relation to gold. And in his fund, he really seems to be the legal owner of most of it. And the largest chunk he received by accepting in his treasury these white spiritual boy accounts, which are billions and quadzillions. And when the media tries to speak about them, I can actually forward you the actual documents of the transfer. It's like half a page with zeros. <laughs> mm. um, people don't know what kind of word to use for these quadzillions on how many times multiplied. So that seems to be true. He seems to be the legal owner of all that gold, which is kept in accounts in all major banks of the world. And I think it is not just his claim, because since he started making appearances, which is in the last couple of months only, it's a very, very recent story, there has been some response from the Russian official side, because although he's UN consultant, he is definitely not a member of the mafia. He is in no way connected with them. He is by himself alone. And I think that the biggest confirmation that he is for true is that he is still alive <laughs> mm -hmm. after all he has done. So there is a reaction because he started sending them letters, very interesting letters, about which I'm going to tell you shortly, to all banks and official institutions, governmental institutions, mainly in Russia, but also worldwide. And there has been some reaction which confirms that he is not some person who is, you know, publishing videos and saying anything else from the basement of his mother's, you know, from the basement of his grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> and also there is plenty of reference and also footage and plenty of proof that he has been in the past on high-level government positions in Russia and that in the past years he has been always mentioned in the media as the richest investor, richer than the entire state of Russia itself, far richer. Wow. Yeah, that seems to be true, really. <laughs> well, this is pretty amazing, and the timing's really interesting, because I recorded an episode not long ago with Gary Lockman, an esoteric researcher who wrote a book called Holy Russia, and it's largely about this feeling of a Russian destiny or the idea that the change that we want to see in the next chapter of humanity would come from Russia, that something would emerge from that pocket of the world. And then you messaged me about this story and how interesting it is, and it just seemed to sync up really well. But you're right. He does talk about the Bretton Woods Agreement and the Bank of International Settlements, which is interesting because we've had guests in the past talk about the Bank of International Settlements as a structure 
that was used to move Nazi-accrued wealth around after World War II, and it's speculated to fund most of the black budget for a sort of breakaway civilization, and it's hard to untangle, but I do think we all find these stories of shadow banking really interesting, and Alexander seems to be explaining this because it's this new non-parasitical financial system that we're going to be onboarded to once the cabal system collapses. Is that kind of right? Yeah, and the good news is that he really promised many times in his speeches, in his appearances, and he underlined it, it was not just a mention, that he's going to put an end to this entire parasitic system, like clean it, completely disinfect everything. He promised that. He said it will surely happen. We are surely going to do it. The only question is how are we going to reach there? For that, he said, there are different ways. And first, he is trying to do it in a diplomatic way without any unrest. He started a few months ago by sending these official letters. In Russia, he covered practically all official governmental and other institutions and rich investors because he is not just an ordinary person. He is the richest person on earth. And he informed them very officially that the end of the parasitic reign is coming. I'm telling you this for sure. And this is your last chance to convert to the side of the light, stop all genocide. He calls this entire parasitic genocide without end. And it's like an ultimatum. And he required, he sent all these letters because he wanted to warn everybody that it is clear for everybody. And he explained to them as a UN consultant how is it going to be in future and why it is in their best interest to leave the sinking ship before it is too late. Apparently, they did not listen much, which does not surprise us. And even at that time, when he started sending the letters, he told them frankly that if it does not work with uh, peaceful means, we are going to do it anyway and it won't be pretty. And in general, He's scarcely giving prophecies, but in general, he indicated that it will be extremely difficult, the transition, he said so. Like we have the biblical scenario of end times, which is also the same with the Muslim people. They have practically the same scenario for the end times. He said a lot of that will unfortunately happen will follow that scenario, not precisely, but loosely. And he said, now it actually begins. And from now on, this was just a couple of months ago, he said, now it starts and it will be only intensifying more and more. The crisis will be deeper and will come more and more often. Hmm. Well, it's really exciting. And when you told me about this, I was happy to have you back to talk about really anything that you wanted to talk about. But I get nervous with these types of whistleblowers who claim to be highly connected, working for the light, saying that the parasitic controllers are going down and the transition will be happening soon, because it feels like every few years, someone like this starts to get a little traction in the alternative community, but they never have turned out to be genuine so far. 
Can you speak a little bit more about why you think Alexander is different? Help people understand a bit more about the indications that this guy might be the real deal. This is an excellent question. I still cannot confirm that as of 100%. I am so fascinated with him because when first I saw him, I had a vision myself about all these things, and then I heard them from him. So for me personally, that was, but of course, my vision cannot be confirmation for the other people. Well, for now, I can only say that I listened a lot to him. He's a man of absolute integrity and wisdom. That I can say. And for now, just uh, what I can truly confirm looking at the plentiful resources in the Russian media is this funds, this treasury that he has, that is for sure. So at least on that basis, we should keep an eye on what he says. Yes, I think that's totally fair. Always got to watch what's going on. And if you vouch for him, at least in part, that goes a long way with me. And can you describe some of the hidden history he talks about and how it ties in with the work you've done in the past? A lot of it is about the Shambhala backstory, right? Yes, that's how it all starts. And the amazing thing is when he started revealing all these things about the ancient history, it was like listening to the survivors (laughs) (laughs) documentary uh, history, which I presented earlier. And also the way he gives some details about the world, the way it will be after the transition which is also curious and ties a lot with the research which I'm doing currently, which is on the end time and new earth uh, prophecies. So he says that with the help of his treasury, in the future, there will be also some sort of kingdoms, but not the way we imagine them now. Not that they will have power over the people, they will be only like servicing institutions. Because the money, all the gold, he says, all this gold will be returned to the people and they will not be in a position to be in shahmate from their king or leader. What if he is corrupt? He says this should not be allowed in the future. Hmm. The leaders, they can only serve. They will not be given the right to tell the people what to do. And I'm actually amazed when... Subsequently, during the last month, I studied end-time prophecies to find this exact detail of how when the new earth comes, they will return the gold to the people. And I was like, okay, and these were not very famous prophecies, but they were coming from all corners and many other small details like this. And it was only yesterday that even I found two medieval prophecies that it will be the hospitalier knights who will do this transition. And I was like, wow, and this is very difficult to find information from some medieval nuns who had visions. So there have been many things that click. And as you mentioned this, that the light will come from Russia, there are many confirmations about this. The famous Edgar Cayce, the famous Vanga, and many other prophecies. Also, I found the treasure of 
Catholic prophecies, very well compiled material by a Catholic author. And over there, I was amazed to see how many saints who were tested by the church in the past, now this is meaningless because the Catholic Church is so corrupt, but in the past they were not so rotten and the fact that they were tested and confirmed to be real visionaries means something. And so many of them saw Christ coming from the East on horse. Very, very interesting. (laughs) It is, and I like how you tie in many different prophecies and just look at what the the bulk of the work is trying to say, the narrative that all these pieces are trying to explain. But one of my curiosities about prophecy and this sort of stuff is how time always seems to be a little shaky when it comes to the spiritual world and insights that come from it. How do we know we don't have like another thousand years of pain? How do we know we're really on the cusp of that next chapter? Oh, we have so many prophecies about this exact decade that we are now in that I will be very, very surprised if we don't enter the tribulation now. Hmm. And I would expect it to happen within the next few years, possibly even complete in this decade or in the beginning of the next. And since I've been in touch with the Catholics, ladies studying their side along with lots of Islamic sources. A week ago, I heard that everybody has heard about the Fatima prophecies, right? Those were really genuine. People saw the light of the apparitions even from a couple of kilometers. So the Fatima was an incident witnessed by thousands. And at that time, I found an information that they did not, you know, they have some paper from the Pope. They published the prophecies, but this was their interpretation made at that time. Well, there was an information from the people who were actually there. And one of them claimed that, and he was like a respectable person at that time, that in The Virgin Mary told the children that the culmination will be in 2029, uh, the culmination of the great shift. Hmm. Very interesting. And I mean, I will certainly say things have heated up. And if the Mark of the Beast has anything to do with mandatory vaccinations, with digital tattoos and complete control over those who opt in, then you are right. We seem to be pretty close to that. And in terms of Shambhala, there's some interesting stuff he mentions, particularly that it used to be the earthly headquarters of the race from the constellation of the Red Dragon. Is that right? Yes, yes. The Red Dragons, they were the guardian spirit of the Chinese race. And This story is from the Slavic Vedas and reached us through Paramount. He is all the time quoting the Slavic Vedas. So the thing is that 1,000 years ago when the Kali Yuga, or in Slavic terms, the Night of the Svarok started, they knew that the descendants of Hyperborea will be so much oppressed that they wouldn't be able to even keep their treasures and books, so they gave them for safekeeping to the 
keepers of Shambhala who did not fulfill their promise, did not keep them properly, and Shambhala had to be destroyed because of that. And according to Paramonov, it got destroyed during the time of that. If you remember the great earthquake in Gujarat, it was felt in Gujarat, but actually he said that the epicenter was exactly at Shambhala, and at that time they destroyed all this illusory world there because of not keeping properly the artifacts of the Hyperborean gods and not delivering them back to their rightful owners now when the time came. Yes, I thought that was a really interesting aspect because he mentions that the people of Shambhala had some sort of world-creating technology and some sort of sacred box that, as you say, they were supposed to guard. Sounds a little bit like the Ark of the Covenant or that kind of technology, but this benevolent race living largely inside the earth used to use this technology to make these vast worlds on the inside of the earth, forests and rivers and Garden of Eden-style landscapes beneath the surface full of life. This is stuff we've heard about. But of course, as you say, it might have all been destroyed by this massive earthquake. But the inner worlds being so rich with life, this might tie into that. Well, Shambhala is just one part of them, and it was created by the initiated people of the followers of the Red Dragon. Not all Chinese are initiated into that. They had more knowledgeable keepers. So the way they broke the deal, instead of just keeping the artifacts, they were told to keep them without making use of them, but they opened the forbidden boxes and they found the knowledge of how to create worlds and realities, but they didn't have the corresponding level. And that's why they were able to create all that illusory world underground in Shambhala with all the butterflies and pleasant rivers and the entire ecosystem, but they did not have the power to fuel it forever because it wasn't their level. And that's how they started feeding the power of us. They started milking our subtle energy by making us suffer and all kinds of techniques, all of them satanic, to feed their worlds. And as far as that particular portion, Shambhala, which is not equivalent with the hollow earth, that is just one small spot of underground worlds there, apparently many other facets of it, but that one, according to Paramanov, got destroyed. And in general, the Red Dragon, their deity also left them, and he also foretold a very sad future for the entire race because of that. And I found something that might be confirming that in the Islamic, it's in the Quran, the story of Juj and Madruj, which will meet a very sad end during their entire race, will meet a very sad fate during the end times. Hmm. Yikes. And he mentions... A few other forms of ancient technology that an energy grid was put around the planet, which keeps the frequency low, a sort of human potential limiter that was designed for a population of a million people. So this was an interesting aspect because it seems like this 
software or this technology is struggling today because it was designed for a million people, although the global population is one of the things that you think they've been lying to us about, right? I think Billion, actually he used that term, which can have different uh, meanings in Russian, but anyway, according to him, the population is much less the real population of the Earth, but still it is close to that critical number which will make their grid not function properly. And he gave uh, like a very technical description of this grid, of convex mirrors, all kinds of cables and frequencies below and above Earth to really distort the very space and limit our entire reality. And that's why, as far as I understood, since this started, our time flows much, much faster. And that's why in the past, in the old books, we find references that people had units of time. They were dividing the seconds into many, many units. That's because they had a much broader experience of time and we are so limited, everything for us has shrunk to such an extent. And also he explained that because of that grid, we perceive the real truth, the subtle world as something dreamy and imaginary, and we perceive these demonic frequencies as the only stable and real thing. Hmm. Well, it is definitely true that ancient timekeeping seems way more sophisticated than our modern linear system, that's for sure. And there's clearly a lot of elements to the story he's telling, but one of my favorite threads is that the parasites discovered some type of cosmic AI that they've used to control us, maybe related to the grid. And maybe because we're in the end times and it was part of the plan all along, like some sort of Trojan horse, but this cosmic AI that they have been using, that they got from some unknown source, has started to betray them in major ways. And they're starting to lose their power and control because the AI that they've gone all in on isn't behaving as it should. It's not obeying them. Is that right? Yes, yes. That was a very story giving us a lot of hope. I hope it is true. and. The way this AI betrayed them is that when they were making this supercomputer technology, which is partially extraterrestrial, some of the programs were, of course, written by earthly people so that it can be adapted to our conditions. And he also explained that initially, like decades ago, it was not so good, but now they have developed a lot. They have made it much more perfect. They are trying to make supercomputer. But the thing is that when they, they were making this artificial intelligence, they needed to put some sort of living creature to be embodied in all those cables because it is always the spark of the soul which ultimately runs everything. So they needed that spark. And at that time, they put some of their people, like some small dragon-like creature or some gray I did not understand very well, somebody from this races, but because everything is ultimately up to the desire of the Lord who knows the future, 
At that time, he looked okay, but now it turned out that he made up his mind to join the side of light, which is touching another interesting moment that what he explained about all these races that we've heard about, the grace, the reptilians, they are also getting polarized at this moment. Some of their members are also figuring out that it is wiser to join the side of light. So they are splitting there as well at the moment. As you see here on Earth, it, it's becoming more and more like water and oil. Yeah, people don't mix anymore. So, Yes, I thought that was a really interesting aspect of what he says, that the time is coming where there will be no more people in the middle, that everybody will have chosen a side. And that is true. Things are so polarized that you can't not have chosen a side at this point. And that's strange, but also true. And this brings us to the July 1st, 2019 submarine fire incident. One of the most provocative threads here. The official story of this incident is that the Russian Navy was, quote, taking underwater measurements of the sea floor when a fire broke out and the 14 crew members were killed. Seven who died had the rank of Captain First Class and two were recipients of the Russian Federation Award. And this is where it gets interesting because even just reading the official story, Wikipedia says, the presence of such a high-ranking crew on a single vessel may be an indication that the vessel was carrying out a high-risk task or testing a new capability at the time of the accident. In comparison, submarine Kernst, which was lost after a similar disaster, had 118 crew members and only two had the title of Captain First Rank. So just having so many people of high rank is very curious and suggests they were doing much more than taking some deep sea measurements. But what does Alexander say this event was all about? Because it ties into that AI betrayal, doesn't it? Yes, it ties into raising the frequencies which is all coming now at the end times, which have started according to him. He says that they were actually, the parasites were trying to bomb one of the portals from Hyperboreum, or maybe, let's say, the gods of light. Maybe for Christians it will be more like Jesus Christ, although it might be a bit difficult to connect at this point, but according to him, all will get connected once the new age starts, the new earth starts, and it will all become clear. So when they saw that the frequencies are rising and their grid is not functioning so well and some people are figuring out how to get out of the illusion, they decided to take direct action and just bomb the portal, yeah? That's their <laughs> approach to everything. But the missile simply refused. It did not work because everything is wired to their IE network, to computers, and computers work according to the will of God, not according to parasitic will when the Lord doesn't want that. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was just really interesting. They're trying to destroy or bomb a Hyperborean portal. 
And when they try, the technology of the AI that they use would just not obey them and destroyed the sub. Fascinating stuff. Does Alexander tell of any other missions like that with a cover story that were really about this cosmic power struggle for the fate of the planet? I will tell you first what other Russian probably prophet said about these things. Utrok Vyacheslav. He said, during the end times, there will be lots of events, really a lot. But he said, I'm going to tell you only what is related to the dark side, because they will be exposed by the numerous prophets, religious prophets, all kinds of prophets during the ages. You will know what to expect from them. However, Utrok Vyacheslav said, you will not find the tactics of the white side in any prophecy. That's how they will work. They will work in secret until the end, and nobody will know what to expect from them. And I notice that also Paramonov is giving lots of details about the parasitic approach and what they are planning. Like, for example, two, three months ago, he warned the people that there will be false agitators who will try to rise them to riots so that there is just a bloodshed. He also warned that the inflation can start at any time and money can lose value. So he is giving warnings like this, but as far as how exactly the side of the light will manage the situation, he does not give out any details, but he only implies that it will be done with how to say this magical power, white magic, like the will of the God. It won't be direct. Interesting. And another thing that was kind of related to this is apparently a couple of months ago, when it comes to the tactics of the parasites, some elite went into bunkers with the intention of destroying the planet and coming out later to reboot the surface world as you do. But the bunkers have been sealed and they're stuck there now. He said, those gates will never open now. And this is apparently related to why so many children have gone missing in recent years. They needed slaves and, unfortunately, food in the bunkers, apparently. Is that right? Yes, yes, exactly. That was a funny story. They will, he said they will end up eating each other down there in the bunkers. Because they think they can escape the will of the Lord by locking themselves. But for them, there is this program. That's how will they end up. And he's very much upset by this human trafficking, the child trafficking. He gives out lots of details about that. This is something he really, really dislikes. And he says it's the main reason for which... God will get angry at the end. And the anger of God described in the Bible, because we are here and we can talk because we are still free. But what about all these people who get kidnapped, get missing all the time? We just don't talk to them. That's why we don't know what they're going through. But God knows. And he said it's exactly that which will excite the anger of the God, and then he said, or to be more precise, it has already done it. Hmm. Well, I like the idea that the universe 
always <laughs> lets the positive side win out in the end, even though we're just in the middle of the story now. You mentioned that just the fact that he's alive and has survived any attempts to silence him says a lot. And it's true that at least I have this perception that Putin keeps a pretty close eye on anything that challenges the current establishment's power in Russia. Do we know that there have been attempts to silence Alexander or would we just assume that because of how Russia is currently run? No, there have been many attempts to murder him because he has been working also for the secret services a long time ago, yeah? Initially, not anymore. Yes, definitely. Not mm -hmm. just silencing, directly killing him. But I just want to add something, a very important prophecy that comes not only from him, but I also found it in many other verified prophecies. And this very important detail and also in the Bible and in the Islamic prophecies, Christ, he will appear, but it will be really in the last moment when all hope will be lost. There will be this war of Armageddon. And at the time when he appears, the Antichrist and the marked people, they will be already celebrating their victory during this war. And the small army supporters of Christ, they will be just a couple of people sieged somewhere, you know, like there is a rebel and here and there a few spots, few people are left, but this doesn't really matter, it's not really counted. So at that time it will be announced the Antichrist won, and it will be some days after that that Christ will actually come. And I think this is very important for all righteous people to know so that they don't lose hope. That's kind of one of the things that gets me about some prophecies like this is that they're always saying, well, you know, don't worry, we are the light. But the, in the same breath, they're also telling us that there are many, many deceptions out there and people are going to fall to the Antichrist and the Antichrist is going to be presented as the true Christ. And so with so much back and forth and tug of war and so many tricks and scams and schemes played, it just seems very difficult to hone in on the one true benevolent being. It's, it's just difficult. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of grace for people who get tricked by the uh, darkness. Actually, when I started very recently, this and the last month to study the prophecies, I found an amazing amount of information like the Antichrist is so well described. Both Islamic sources and Christian describe his birth in a Semitic family. Also in cross-religion, there are references sure that he will make his headquarters in Jerusalem. So it will not be very difficult to recognize him. Also, I found many independent references from verified prophets, yeah, really verified, like Jehani and Irmaya, that he will also have these worldwide performances. I don't know if he will be a singer himself or he will have a bunch of singers with himself, but he will be like performing miracles and stuff. And he will have these worldwide tours visiting all major cities. It will not be at all difficult to recognize him. And after all, he will be the first one to claim to be God. 
The first one is the wrong one, and his headquarters are in Jerusalem, only his. So... Right on. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of this audience to hear that the Antichrist would be born to a Semitic family and be based in Jerusalem. I mean, I guess you're right, because there are a lot of evildoers that I look at, and it seems quite obvious that you shouldn't put your faith in them, like Bill Gates, for example, yet people do. And if I was a betting man, I would say he was an agent of darkness and maybe a Soldier of the Antichrist, if you want to put it in those terms. But you also have a video that I thought was interesting with the title, something to the effect of, is Christ a tulpa, you know, a physical manifestation of collective mental energy that has had many incarnations throughout time, probably more than we know. And I think that's a really interesting angle. The video is called, is God a tulpa? Yes, Christ is God. That is extremely complicated topic and that's why the video is very long because it will be very difficult to explain anything about this in five or ten minutes because first of all it has to be explained to the people that imaginary is the real thing and why is it so and how is it so and then to explain what is a tulpa so this is a very deep subject even before hearing the question I think maybe that that requires like a seven hours interview. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. I do think this audience is clued in on parts of that, that the mental realm, the realm of ideas, the spiritual realm, things filter down from there and that collective mental energy can create physical things. So it is dense and deep and I urge people to check that out. But I think that even just what you said, people might get a, a, a brief glimpse at the gist there. And I guess to ask you more about what Alexander says and some of these prophecies and a few of your videos in that playlist that do go over this work, there are a few mentions of the moon. And that's something I was going to ask you about. What does he say about the role of the moon in this overall system? Because so many people are still confused as to what this system even is. What is the cosmology? What is this environment? And apparently the moon does play an important role. He described the moon as a transmitter of this. They give out programs like demonic programs which are projected in our realm. And it comes through the moon and then it reflects to Kailas and then it spreads with their demonic network and people who are tuned to fear, people who drink alcohol and watch TV. They think that it's their own thoughts, but actually they are simply transmitting those same frequencies. And the moon, he described only as a transmitter. I think that's really provocative. They have just a station. It doesn't mean that it is only a transmitter. It may have many other functions. Maybe there are also good people living there, but there is just a demonic base somewhere. It could be mixed. Well, the other two angles on the moon that I've heard about, obviously it is very anomalous. Scientists can't seem to figure out how it is there, where it came from. So there's something mysterious about it. I've also heard from your videos and other places that souls incarnate through some sort of system that involves the moon and also that these parasitic beings are still mining 
the Earth and taking some of this material to the moon. Yes, it, it goes via the moon. It goes on ships, he said, uh, Paramonov said. He said that when he was young and he was studying high finance and politics, he said, I could never understand why, what was it, 60%, the percentage could be a bit wrong, of all these oil contracts are dry. They're like fictitious. And only later on he understood that all this oil that is covered by these dry contracts actually goes off planet, some of it in its natural form, and some of them they convert to some other energy and then they export it. And through the moon, there are bases for that. They also mine gems, gold, whatever they find. And he said they have made, because Earth is also our Earth, but it is also like a belt of planets which are very similar to the Earth. And he said they have made it like a production line. They mine all these planets. They install this parasitic grid to make the people crazy, and at the end they blow it all up completely in a nuclear war. And they have done this with many other Earths, he said, but this time it will be the different one because our dimension, our Earth, he said, is like the central Earth. And at this time God has decided to put an end to all this and that's why he said that this time the biblical scenario will not be followed closely. It will be somewhat different. And at this time, some people will survive and not as usual that they blow up everything. Hmm. That's really interesting, too, because I've interviewed John Brandenburg, a doctor from NASA who discovered some isotopes in the Martian atmosphere that can only be there by some type of nuclear explosion. And it seems some type of evidence is there that in the ancient past, even our closest neighbor, Mars, went through some sort of destruction period. And there's pyramids and ruins and all kinds of stuff on Mars. So maybe this is part of a longer cycle. Yes, yes. And I had a vision maybe 10 years ago, and I was shown like these demons, they were blowing these planets exactly like this in a row, one after another, that was during a ceremony. At that time, I did not understand it. And I even asked the Divine Mother, why are you showing me all this? And at that time, she just told me, you need to recognize them when you meet them. And only now I start to understand what she meant, and probably this planets being blown up one after another by demons. When I heard this story, I was okay. <laughs> and when you say these planets in a row, are we talking about our solar system or are we talking about planets we aren't even aware of? I, I did not see which planets are these. Mm. That I did not see. Right on. Yeah, it's got to be tough to know. But he also mentioned, Alexander, this thing called the People's Liberation Movement of the USSR. And that's interesting because apparently in their documentation, it states that there's some direct continuation of Tartaria, which seems to be a culture lost to history. So to have any kind of documentation that, hey, here was this great empire that was removed from history, and we're a continuation of that. 
I mean, that's pretty interesting. Yes, he actually registered in the United Nations. He registered this Union Anti-Terror as the legitimate, in legal terms, it is called local government for Russia because he submitted the in the United Nations proof that Russia is taken over by inimical forces and they took over with with guns in Kremlin. There was no agreement. They simply went and shot everybody and after that light that people wanted. To, it was actually a, purely a, a murder operation and there is no direct connection between the USSR and the current Russian Federation, which is nothing else but registered in the West trade firm. And lately it is becoming clearly uh, private trade firms of Israel, even openly. Now, of course, it has always been like this underground, but now it is there, even not hiding it anymore. Since months they are privatizing all military, it is very much legally owned by we know who. So he registered because according to international law, when a nation is suppressed by foreigners, they have the legal right to register their own government and gradually take their position as the legitimate government. So he submitted the papers and he said, I wasn't expecting that much of an easy approval, but since the Russian Federation is not even registered as a country in the United Nations, they got approved straight away. And when he's sending these letters, which I mentioned earlier, for the parasites to say their last prayers or join the side of light, He's signing them as the legal government, which is the continuation of USSR and Tartaria. He openly, he also wrote there, Tartaria. They are the inheritance of Tartaria. And also he explained something which will be very difficult to explain to the Western public, but I will try, <laughs> that when the New Age starts, it will not be like communism, but they will take off where communism finished. Because, yes, communism was a parasitic system, but apparently it wasn't that good for them because they brought it down, yeah? Mm -hmm. They themselves. It did not come from the people. And they preferred the tyranny to be organized in something which they call capitalism or whatever, which is clearly tyranny and nothing else, democracy. So he said that in legal terms, this new organization, which will hand out the riches to the people when the new age starts, it will be done as a continuation of USSR. And his government, he registered it as a continuation of USSR because the Russian Federation doesn't even have the status of a country. Hmm. This is all very interesting. And obviously these terms, capitalism, communism... People have a lot of emotion wrapped up in their definition sometimes, but I think this audience understands what you're saying, which is that at the top, these people control both sides of the coin, and there's always a division, east and west, black and white, rich and poor, communism, capitalism, and communism in Russia didn't end because the people demanded it and were rioting in the streets, as you say. It was just 
done from the top because at the top they control both sides. And so they probably looked at the data over which system is easier to control, which system generates more power at the top. And they went with capitalism. So they folded communism in Russia. And I think people understand that contrary to what we're told, these decisions are just all made at that top level and they control everything anyway. So they just try different experiments and pit us against each other. Yes, they put up all this communist power and communist government. They appointed it. However, the people inside the government betrayed them. (laughs) They started working in the interest of the people as much as they could, you know, under those circumstances, instead of in the interest of the parasites. Like, for example, in China, they are still saying that, you know, we have a communist party and it is the only party. But in reality, there is no communism in China anymore. It's uh, the same tyranny as everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. The state has obviously a ton of more in-your-face control, but they're capitalistic like the rest of the countries, you know, that when they operate at that high level, when they're dealing with finance, when they're capturing other lands and doing mining operations in Africa, it's really no different. Yeah, also their social structure, I mean, they, the way they trade inside the country is organized is absolutely following the capitalistic model. It has nothing to do with communism. I'm just mentioning it to explain how these terms are absolute fake. But unfortunately, sometimes in the West, people are a bit too negative towards the term of uh, communism. Right. They get triggered. People get triggered. I mean, everybody's been mind controlled and propagandized to such a degree that even hearing words that are uncomfortable can send them into a tailspin. But I think the people we're talking to now are all right. And uh In terms of Tartaria, I I know that you've made a few videos showing the images of the big city squares using Tesla coil-like electric power and these competitions they would have with electric swords, but also that this whole religious symbol of the cross was originally, or at least for a time, something that looked a lot different, and it was a conductor for the electrical energy in the atmosphere. That's why it's often placed at the top of a steeple. You even show churches that had metal floors, which indicate some type of electric charge being distributed throughout. And I've had a lot of guests talk about how churches or religions or the ceremonies used to be a lot closer to something spiritual and transformative like an ayahuasca journey. And obviously that's all been taken out and now it's quite shallow and it has no teeth anymore and it's just kind of a control structure. But can you talk to us about some of this hidden technology or this past of Tartaria that's been wiped off the map? And apparently, I guess, Tartaria, of course, we should say, existed on the land we now call Russia. At some point, it encompassed most of the earth. Like in the oldest maps, it was practically on all continents. That was at the time when the concept of a country started emerging. So it was still very blurry, as far as I understand. And later on, as the very existence of 
the countries started looking like countries we understand them nowadays with boundaries and restrictions for passage and so on, then started shrinking to a few spots in Siberia and eventually disappeared. And all that is not by chance, because in these regions, in the Ural Mountains, in Siberia, that is where the Hyperborean gods first landed. And that is kind of their prime spot on Earth. They will keep returning. And Paramonov explained that now they have, the parasites know all this, so they have converted the most sacred spots into radioactive dumps. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, the background that I've heard is that the Khazarian forces destroyed Tartaria and installed the royal families across Europe and the world, and that that is where the history that we know today truly started, but they've really whitewashed and taken out the whole Tartarian Empire because they don't want us to know that there ever was a good civilization that united the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My only remark about these metal elements with conductive materials and electroconductive shapes, I don't necessarily see them in the light many other researchers subsequently started interpreting them as necessarily transmitters of electricity the way we know it. I see them definitely as transmitting energy, but it may not have been exactly something to power electric bulbs. It might have been something triggering psychic events, psychic streams in the consciousness as well, and a few other purposes as well, maybe even practical, maybe also about lightning. But I see that tendency in the material that appeared subsequently on Tartaria on other YouTube channels and not mine to always put this technocratic coloring on the situation just because we are currently technocratic. While I see it mostly as elements, also the metal ones, as conductors mainly of other types of energy. Like the Indian yantras, they are usually made of copper or other conductive elements as well. You know, when you chant the mantra, you look at the yantra and you get this connection with the deity. A real one, not just imaginary. So we have a history of using materials with special conductivity also for esoteric energy transmission. And that's mostly how I see these things and not primarily as powering electric bulbs and other stuff. So though that could have been possible as well. Yes, that's kind of what I was trying to get at. The language is just slippery for me, but the whole thing about the church experience used to be more about energy and lifting people up in a, in a real, I guess, physical sense through harnessing of this energy and dispersing it to the congregation or something like that, some kind of etheric energy rather than this uh, electricity as we know it today, like you said. And this kind of relates, but in that video, you said be careful with the Tataria material because a lot of the stuff that people are hearing has popped up in Russian forums years ago and was debunked before it 
ever even spilled over into the English-speaking world. And I was curious where you think that line is between what's true with Tataria and what isn't. Is there more to say about that other than just this uh, aspect of the energy? Yeah, I, I remember exactly what you said, but that video was made a couple of years ago, and now I cannot, out of my mind, tell you which exactly details I meant, because there is so much material about Tartaria that came later on, after, I don't know if anybody published before me, a lot of stuff came out about Tartarian. Some of them was colored in unnecessary nationalistic stuff about Russia or, you know, like from when you see it from a narrow-minded aspect, then it becomes colored with current political mind contamination and at the end it could lead to watering the truth. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And before we go, just to wrap a nice little bow around all of this, is there anything more to say about Alexander Paramanov or what we should expect from him going forward? Does he have any kind of timeline or any kind of next steps that we should be looking for in regards to what he's doing? He has promised us most definitely to punish the parasites. He said that he will do it personally with his organization, so use anti-terror on a Russian territory. And I think he really will do. And I have some reliable prophecies from Bulgaria, from Slava Sivrykova. Interestingly enough, she said that around the beginning of the tribulation, they will punish the parasites in Bulgaria very severely, which kind of surprised me because usually I would expect that towards the end of the tribulation when the full parasitic system just falls under its own rotten weight. But again, the tactic of the side of the light is kept in secret, but I saw few hints here and there in a couple of prophecies that since the system of light will be starting from Russia and a couple of prophets mentioned this union of the Slavic people, which will be emerging, I think, in a couple of years. So Probably at the time he will be punishing the Russian parasites. Probably that is the event which Slava Sivrykova was describing also in Bulgaria and kind of hinting that it could be the same in the other Slavic countries. So these are the hints I see and I'm saying it's only hints. For him, it is a promise. He did not say an ear though, but he said this will surely happen. Once he only said we will try, and then he corrected himself, and he said, this is very wrong, just try. It will not be just try, this will happen for sure, remember my words. Hmm. <laughs> well, I hope so. And you have done some really impressive prophecy compiling, and just all your work is always fascinating to me. I'm really glad we could do this again, and I still think back to the time you translated the Alexander Koltepin interview for me, and I know how much work that was to really translate complex stuff over a two-hour period of time. I mean, it, it probably took another four or five hours that people didn't even see. So I really thank you for that. If uh, we ever get a chance to do that with Anatoly Fomenko, that's where we really, we really have a winner. 
but it has been a lot of fun. I'm really lucky to know you. Again, the YouTube channel is New Earth. Your website is megaliths.org. Any other upcoming work of your own to tell people about if they want more? For now, I'm really into the prophecies. And after that, God will guide me. Christ will guide me. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, again, it's been a huge pleasure. Alexander Paramanov is quite a character, and I hope he's the person he says he is. Thanks for bringing us great stuff as always, and take care. <laughs> thank you. You're so sweet. Okay. Thank you for everything. Ciao, ciao. Yes, people, the great new earth lady herself. She does such interesting work, and it was long overdue for us to check in with her again. It boggles my mind how we did three previous episodes together, if you count the one she translated, and they were all in 2016. Just doesn't seem right to me, but I guess it's been four years. And when we first did this together, I think I had found maybe one previous interview of hers. And even though I listened to hours and hours of her material, she stays so focused on the work that I would never hear her say her own name. But when I first saw it written, it had the accent mark, so I started saying Sylvier, which I hear no other interviewers say now that I can find a bunch of others. And I also asked her last time about Ivan Noah versus Ivan Nova. And she said because it's Cyrillic, it's spelled a bunch of different ways and it doesn't really matter. But the V versus the W is definitely more the standard from what I see online now. And because Nova is symbolically more potent, I'm going to fix those older ones and comply with the V now. Obviously, I shouldn't have such trouble with something so simple as a guest's name, especially one I enjoy so much. But here we are. That said, I am super happy with what we could fit into this one. Prophecies are a strange beast. So many of them have a similar shape, along with figures who pop up in alternative culture that talk of a new widespread sweeping change but I consider her pretty plugged in spiritually, and she's also been our liaison to researchers and work that doesn't often penetrate the English-speaking world, and today was a ride that incorporated both of those angles. We got a crash course on the disclosures of someone who's making some waves on the other side of the world, whose material jives with a lot of the stuff we're interested in. And this morning, we knew nothing of Alexander Paramanov which makes an episode like this probably a bit more fun than going over the effects of 5G again. <laughs> Something completely new and unexpected that pairs very nicely with Gary Lockman's Holy Russia episode from not long ago. Obviously, I take any sort of savior story with a grain of salt. I like to listen and I cross my fingers, but I do have my doubts that there's anyone out there who's going to swoop in and rebuild the world for the benefit of all mankind. But I also think Sylvie is one of the greats, and it's been so long, I just let her tell me what she finds most interesting right now. Plus, she has a really good spiritual connection, and if things do have this filtering down process, maybe a sweeping change from spiritual allies is possible. Maybe there's more than one 
great reset agenda in the works. But we got an expansion of our overall awareness today, and it was fun to talk to her about how to view and interpret prophecy in general, and hear that from someone with a lot of experience with those deeper layers of reality and the spiritual aspects of life. In fact, she actually sent me two short addendums that I should play for you guys. Let's cue up this first one. And a very important note about this uh, light which will uh, come from Russia. This should not be confused with the massive East-West war which will uh, kill millions in Europe and Russia will have a lead in that. There are so many prophecies about this that... Uh, it is extremely likely to happen. That will not be the light coming from Russia. That will be organized by the parasitic Russian Federation government to, of course, as usual, massacre millions in one go. So according to the prophecies, the West will win that war eventually and Russia will be one of the worst affected uh, countries in terms of bloodshed, not only because of this war, but also because of some internal, very uh, bloody revolution that it will suffer, and another prophesized war with China. And by the way, in uh, recent months, Russia is privatizing practically all of its uh, military, making it a legal ownership of all kinds of uh, private institutions and uh, people, mostly foreign, of course. And they are very aggressively hiring paid mercenaries. So the parasitic Russian department could be simply positioning itself for the coming chaos, which uh, most likely will erupt in a couple of years very, very suddenly, in a relatively, actually, very peaceful moment. So when you see that in the news, don't confuse it. Oh, is this the light coming of Russia? No, it will be the parasitic stink manifesting itself uh, from there. And peace will come afterwards, after the great bloodshed and destruction. And that will be peaceful. That will not be by uh, military conquest. Right, so be aware of the prospect of major superpower conflicts, but know that the forces of light wouldn't be the ones to cause such massive destruction, because that's not what they're about. And she also had this to add about Bill Gates and the Antichrist archetype. Yes, Bill Gates is one of the most eligible candidates for the sub-antichrists, because both in the Bible and in the Islamic sources they speak of a main antichrist from Jerusalem, but also they all explain that he will be expanding, he will be possessing the souls of others, so he will have multiple incarnations at that time. And that's amongst the other uh, individual devils which have already incarnated from hell incarnating themselves into all kinds of uh, hybrid uh, personalities, which uh, look exactly like uh, human to our eye. Provocative. Very provocative. And I was also going to throw out there that it just seems more important than ever to not lose yourself following a narrative as it comes through the TV. There's a lot going on, and it's easier to get sucked into one emotional drain or another when it comes to the news and the aggressive 
side taking that's going on out there. Keeping our wits about us has never been more challenging, it seems. But working on yourself will always improve your preparedness for unexpected volatile times, more so than following the news and trying to predict that next step. So while this show mainly focused on Alexander Paramanov in the first hour, in the second hour we folded in other prophecies that she resonated with and stuff that I dug out of her last four years of work that I thought you guys would be interested in. Stuff like separating the Tatarian fact from fiction, how the elite try to twist prophecy in their favor. In that respect, I think she's got a lot in common with Ross Ben. We talked about her own recent expeditions to megalithic sites, exploring cave systems, the Nobel Prize PR stunt, why she stopped the Survivor series, why the Genghis Khan story doesn't add up. They say he killed 40 million people. Or did he? Could it have been the Khazarians wiping out Tataria's network and creating a boogeyman to blame it on? The case is made. And the wildest thing we talked about is why some medieval armor might be made for non-human frames. If you're interested in that last one at all, definitely watch her video on that. Seeing the images is key to that argument. It's titled The Medieval Knight's Armor as Exoskeleton for Other Races. And I liked it a lot. But one of the ideas that really underpins her work is that life was full of a lot more intelligent beings before the parasitic takeover. And we were a lot more unified. And when we look around and see such backward and broken approaches in medicine and energy, and we hear about these other systems way more intertwined with the natural world, I'm intrigued by that idea that we once had a paradise of ether-based energy systems, powerful plant medicine, robust diets that don't come shipped in plastic containers from some TV dinner factory, cooperation rather than hierarchical competition. It almost seems harder for the elite to stamp out all of this stuff over and over as it comes up, as opposed to one sweeping era of complete overhaul and history revision and capture, essentially, over humanity and our previous ways of life. It's as if the parasites must have seen it fully realized at one point to understand how important it would be to close off access to all roads that lead to a united humanity and the natural systems that lead to abundance and cooperative thinking, as well as the history. Got to remove the history. You do that, you install a ruling elite across Europe and an empire that expands around the world. The Archons inject into us a scarcity program. We produce a fear and stress response, and the loop continues where they feed off those qualities. The system is reinforced, and thus we only produce more. Human energy farm, indeed. But I am so thankful she got in touch with me after so long. The timing couldn't have worked out better because I was in the process of seeking out more off-the-radar material. And would you look at that? The stars align. Or the spirit guide stepped in. Hard to know. But big thanks to her. New Earth, again, is the YouTube channel. 
megaliths.org to see all the sites that she's got cataloged. And hopefully we can do this again before too long. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care of each other, and I'll see you next time. I've done my part. Your move, parasites, archons, and spirit allies of light. Your fucking move. Oh no, you see, the world isn't random, it's attached to puppet strings, control over. Everything The nine to five is trying to steal ya Now don't that job seem silly Hello Can you hear me? Or should I play back recordings From some spike agency Wish we were younger And free I'll be thankful when it's all exposed The vast conspiracy There's such a difference Between us And the damn time.